Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. Morning, everybody. You can do better. Good morning. I thought I'd just start with a little testimony. I had something good happen this week. You know where you either see God work and then you're kind of surprised, but also a bit blessed at the same time. On Friday, I went to, um, with my friend to scatter the ashes of his wife. Um, she died last year while he was in prison and hadn't been able to go to the funeral and stuff. And they'd saved the ashes for him so that he could do the scattering. So I went and picked him up from a rehabilitation centre where he's staying. And he brought a friend with him, a friend called Dino. And Dino um, had only been in the rehab for just three weeks, recovering from um, an addiction to, to crack cocaine and various other things. And so Dino came with us. Dino was like a, a chunk of a man, bald, skinhead, kind of, you know, you can picture the kind. And, um, and so we, we did our bits and bobs. And then on the way back, Dino started sharing about uh, his experiences of rehab. And he said it had been really, really difficult and He'd wanted to quit every day. And, and the biggest thing was that he'd not been able to sleep at all. Um, I hadn't slept since he'd arrived at rehab. Probably because his body was used to a certain like, level of drugs to get him to sleep. Or maybe it was the medication that he was taking to keep him off drugs. Either way, he'd not been able to go to sleep. And I just felt in that moment, I've got to pray that, he would, uh, that a miracle would take place in his life and that he would sleep. And so, I, um, so we, we pulled up outside the rehab place and I just began to pray for Dino. And I was praying, Lord, would you bless Dino, give him the best sleep that he's ever had. And then I just, I went to sleep that night thinking about Dino and like, Lord, I really need something to happen. Because like, if I'm honest, Lord, I could do with it for me. Um, you know, just like a, you're still real kind of thing. And um, uh, you still work powerfully today. Anyway, I as soon as I woke up in the morning, I was thinking about Dino again, and I texted my mate Steve and said, how did Dino sleep? And he said, I've already been on to him. He said he slept all the way through. And, um, he said, and, and, and then my mate Steve went, the power of prayer. Like Steve was just like really learning about Jesus, I think, you know, really owning it. And I just I was so encouraged, so encouraged that God is, is still at work, still doing things. And it's only making a guy go to sleep that doesn't go to sleep. You know, and there's many more miracles that he needs in his life. But man, I was just blessed to bits. Everybody, we are, um, we are going to do big give. Or is it give big? I never know which way around. I don't even know if it matters. Um, it's so good to be in a church that approaches giving in the way that we do. I have to say, it's a massive encouragement to me to be amongst a group of people that are kind of like up for it and going for it and want to keep giving. I hear about churches that do giving days. I hear about some amazing churches that bring in hundreds of thousands of pounds. But my concern is that they often spend it on the new church roof or, or there'll be a scheme where let's buy new chairs or let's buy a new kitchen or, or a sound system or something. And so they do a big give and they, oh, they celebrate and they pat themselves on the back because... They've managed to afford a new kitchen. CCM like to give it all away. 
And that's what I love. It's good news to me that they give it all away. CCM wants to bless other people. Last time we were giving to Ukraine and to Uganda and to Oasis Gorn, £83,000 was given away. That is outstanding. Like, it's really a very, very beautiful thing. And this year, there's the same emphasis. We're, 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 we're going to try and bless the city in as many different ways as we can. Blessing the churches through teaching and through mission. And, and it's just great to be able to give some stuff away. I just really, really want to say I'm proud to be a part of a church which gives money away. It's good to talk about giving. It's part of our worship. It's part of our discipleship. But I have to confess... It's proper awkward. And if, I, if I'm honest, I don't overly enjoy talking about giving. Because it's almost like giving is this personal matter. A matter of something between you and God. I grew up in a family which never talked about money. I had no idea how much my dad earned. No idea how much my dad gave to the church. It was kind of a personal deal between him and God. And when you read what Jesus says... It kind of is emphasized. He tells the religious leaders, he tells the Pharisees off for like the lavish way and the very public way in which they give their gifts. I'm just making an offering now, does everybody see? And then Jesus emphasizes it in Matthew 3. He says, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give in such secrecy to the point where one hand doesn't know what the other hand is doing. I've tried. It's actually impossible because my brain keeps getting involved and telling the other one what's going on. There isn't a way to do it. But what Jesus is trying to tell us there in this exaggerated form of communication is give in secret. This is private stuff. And so it's a bit weird. I have to stand up the front and talk about it. Some churches don't like to talk about giving because they don't want people to feel like they've got to pay to come. Like, giving monthly is almost like a subscription to the local gym. It's not that. But we don't want people to feel uncomfortable about it, so we don't do it. I remember going to visit my friend's church. Um, I'm not going to tell you which one it is. Um, but when, when we'd done all the singing, and by the way, I knew we were in, there was a problem. Even We worshipped to this thing called an omnichord. Have you ever even heard of an omnichord? No. It's like the size of a dinner plate, and it's got... You pick chords with your finger. It's like a styrofoam. It's like this electronic device. And then you change the chords, and then you go like this. Anyway, it's awful. I should have known. should have left when I saw the Omnichord. Flipping disgrace. Um, anyway, so and then, it, then it comes time for the, for, the, for the, we've got a gift, right? And so he does a big spiel about giving and how we need to be cheerful givers. And then he says, so we're going to be cheerful givers. You're going to stand to your feet. You're going to form a conga. And I want you to conga around the church to the very front where you'll deposit your gifts in the bowl that I'm going to hold. He's going to watch what you put in. And then we're going to conga all the way back round. And I'm thinking, I ain't congering nowhere, pal. And um, I'm like a visitor. I'm new. Never been to the church before. I don't do conga. Like, there's rules for life, and that's one of mine. Now, I've got a tattoo on my back. No conga. It's not happening. 
But as soon as they, everyone, they all knew what they had to do. And I was like, not going to happen. Anyway, it was very, very clear that non-participation was not okay. And you know where you go to, when you're at, you know, you're at a wedding and at the reception and then your mad auntie wants you to dance with you. Uh, and, and you're like, no. And, but she drags you and you're like, ah, it's women and men. You know, you know it's awful. You know that experience? Well, that, that happens. She's, the conga's on and I'm getting grabbed pulled to my feet and I begin the conga, let's all do the conga. But to worship, it's even worse, double, double problems there. Anyway, we get to the front, uh, I, don't, I, tr I ignore it, I'm gonna be honest with you. I'm not, I'm not playing the game, so I, I just do the conga back to my chair. And then the pastor stands at the front, he dips his hand in the bowl, shimmy round, and he's not happy. No, people. On your feet. I'm like, no. He says, there's not enough. I'm like, not enough for what? Give me more details. Like, what are you going to spend this on? Like, what are we aiming for? Give me a clue. You know, how far are we going to have to go? Are we talking remortgage? What? And, uh, and so, boom, off we go again. Conga, conga, conga. Ugh. And um, round the front three times. Three times he made us conga as there wasn't enough in there. I was not a happy chap. The, the pastor there was quoting this uh, famous passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But he only quoted the last half. He said, God loves a cheerful giver. That day, I was not a cheerful giver. But the full passage says this, each of you should give what you decide in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. I was very reluctant. I was very much under compulsion, and I was not cheerful. We have to decide what we're going to give. I love it that God tells us we have freedom to give and responsibility to give. Where do we decide it? It says we decide in our hearts. Does that mean that we have to give emotionally? No, because actually in Jesus' day, the heart was like the center of the human thought. It was the center of life itself. It's the place where thinking is done and emotions are kept. And it's in that place of thought and feeling combined that we begin to make our choices. Think it through. Engage with the process. Weigh it up. We've been given responsibility for giving, now own it. How do we give? Without reluctance or, or begrudgingly, none of that. Don't be pressured, don't be coerced. However tempting it is to conger, don't give in to the conger. Know this though, God loves it when we give. I love scriptures that tell me what God loves. I don't know about you, but I need to know what God loves. Here, we're told that God loves people who give. God loves it when we give cheerfully, when we give from the place of love, when we've worked it all through and worked out what we're going to give, when we've decided in our hearts what we're going to go for. When we do that cheerfully, God loves it. God takes pleasure in what we give. When we engage in giving and give from the heart, we do so from the place of gratitude. We do so from the place of thankfulness, from the place of joy. We give cheerfully. And what I love about this word cheerfully 
When you dig into the Greek, it comes from the word hilarious. Hilarious. Where might that be from? The word hilarious. It's where we get our word hilarious. God loves people who give hilariously. That's not just funny. That's not wild or wacky. Actually, it's far deeper than that. It's beautiful when you dig into it. Hilarious means contented. It means satisfied. Happy with what God has already done. Content with all that God has given me. Satisfied and approving of God's plans. Ready in light of all that God has done. Ready to give from the place of gratitude. Ready to give from the place of peace. Ready because I am happy. I'm satisfied because God is enough for me. God loves people who are content with him and give. Isn't that so good? Isn't that good that God loves people that are like, oh, you are enough. Everything else can go. You're enough for me. I'll just give it away. Hilarious. God loves it when we give because our giving reveals that we are fully satisfied in him. Let me tell you this. God certainly doesn't want you to ever give if you're fed up with him. If you are not happy with what you've got, that isn't the gift that God wants. He would rather you work out what it is to be satisfied in him and then give from the place of contentment. So let us remember all that God has done for us. Let's get our hearts right before him. Let's get satisfied in him. I think when we begin to think about giving, we have to remember what God has given to us. Let's give in light of the gifts that come only from heaven. Generosity, our generosity, should reflect his generosity. We're, we're named by him. We're, we're made in his image. We're made in the image of a very generous God who calls us to be like him. God is incredibly generous. God is so good at giving. 1 Timothy 6.13 says, God gives life to everything. Colossians 1.17 says, he's before all things and in him all things hold together. Without the generosity of God, the world and our lives begin to fall apart bit by bit. But God is faithful in generously pouring out life into us. Scripture, throughout scripture, you'll hear God described as the generous God. The God who gives lavishly his love, his grace, his mercy. His kindness. He's the God who pours out faith, the God who pours out wisdom, the God who pours out strength. And the list could go on and on and on. God is the great God who gives everything to us. In fact, James tells us that everything that is good comes from God. James 1, 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change with shifting shadows. God is generous to us. Let's remember just how much he's poured out into our lives. And yet, I've still not gotten to the most awesome gift that God has given us. He gives us his only son, sent from heaven on a rescue mission, bringing us back to God. A son who would die upon a cross to forgive our sins. A son who dies to save us. Let me just give you the most well-known verse of all time. John 3, 16. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved, full of love, Jesus is given, full of love. From the heart that overflows, God gives. And what does he give? He gives whatever it takes to get the job done. He gives sacrificially. He gives personally. He gives to bless. He gives to heal. He gives to save. And we don't deserve it, but yet God continues to give. But how often we fail to recognize all that God is pouring out into our lives. Life gets difficult and you begin to turn in on yourself and think God's gone on holiday. God's not bothered. God's given up. A few years ago, I went to see a a friend of mine, someone who said they were struggling in their faith. And they told me how they'd been a really faithful Christian. That they'd served really well. They've given up many things for God. They'd been a regular giver. Each and every month, they'd faithfully put in the pot. But they felt they weren't getting anything back. That God owed them something. That God needed to do them a favor. God needed to prove himself, to step up and step in and maybe open his wallet a little bit. God needed to pull his weight. And as I listened to him rant about how disappointing God was, I was like flabbergasted. What has happened? And in my most pastoral voice, I said, are you freaking crazy? (laughs) I said, take a look around you. You've got a house and it's full of stuff. Really nice stuff. And your cupboards are full of food. And so is your quite big belly. And you've got clothes, really nice clothes on. And you've got a car and a job. And my voice was getting higher and higher, like I'm on helium. I said, take a deep breath. You're still alive. You got breath in your lungs and it didn't come from anybody but God. And I was like, and let, let's not even forget, it gave you Jesus that died for all your sins and I'm beginning to lose my mind. And he said, you better leave. And he asked me to leave his house. He was so upset because I'm the worst pastor of all time. <laughs> Awkward, right? But how easy we begin to forget what God has done, all the great things that he's poured into our life. When the life gets tough, when we begin to struggle, we're like, God has turned off. We easily become blind to the truth. Psalms 24 verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live it. That means everything that we own belongs to Jesus. None of it is yours. The worst of news today, if you think you've been saving up and doing a really good job, let me just take it all off you. None of it belongs to you. The money in your bank, everything you've ever earned, 
all your clothes, every gadget you love, the things that you've saved up for, the things that you're paying off, even the, your most treasured possession, the thing that was handed down through generations from your great-great-grand that really secretly you wish you could sell so you could buy something you really like. Even that stuff belongs to God. It isn't yours. This is the one rule that I'm trying to teach my kids more than anything else. When I get old and I've got grandkids, they'll go, oh, my dad used to say the same things over and over. When they begin to squabble over toys or devices or food or anything, when I hear those like annoying little words, it's mine, it's mine, no, it's mine, it's mine, I jump on the mines. I crush it. I ask the same phrase, whose is it really? Whose is it really? And when we first started saying it, they'd go, it's mine. No, it's mine. It's mine. And now they know the rules. Whose is it really? Now they say it belongs to Jesus. And I say to them, and what does Jesus ask us, ask us to do with the stuff that he gives us? And they say he asks us to care for it and he asks us to share for it. Share it. They get it wrong sometimes. <laughs> Jesus asks us to care and to share for the things that he's got. Everything belongs to him. We are the stewards that take care of the stuff that belongs to him. And he wants us to share what he has given. Jesus asks us to give. We're called to give. And what would he have us give to? The stuff that he really likes. Jesus asks us to give towards the kingdom, towards the poor, towards the lost, and towards the broken. You know, I'm surprised how much the Bible is full of talk about money and giving. In the Bible, there is twice as many verses on money as there is about faith and prayer combined. Jesus spoke about money 25% of the time, and that's huge. Jesus says more about money than he does heaven and hell. Why might that be? Because our approach to money is the key indicator of where our true priorities lie. It'll be the indication of where and what we are worshipping. How we think about money, how we're dependent on money, how unsatisfied with the amount of money we have, how we spend our money, all points to what we think is essential in this life. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You put your money to what you think is important. Your bank statement reads like your autobiography. You want to know what's important in your life? Go back through. You probably not kept them. Find them. They're now online, paperless. Go back through your bank statements and begin to see how you're spending what God has given you. It will tell you a story of what you live for. It will tell you what you value. It will even reflect on how you view God. One of the most difficult uh, and uh, challenging quotes I read recently was by a lady called Anna Lampe. And she says, every time you spend money, you're casting a vote for the kind of world you want. Oof. You're not even a Christian. And for us, it's even more challenging. Every time you spend or give, you're casting a vote for the kind of kingdom you believe in. We've got to own it, guys. It's difficult to come to terms with. It's incredibly challenging. 
every time you spend, every time you give, you're making a statement about what really matters to you, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So where is your heart today? As we move into the season of giving, let's make sure our hearts are fully aware of all that we've been given by God. Are we grateful for what we've received? Do you recognise everything, every blessing, every good thing as a gift from God? That all you have is his. How's your heart? How content are you in him? How satisfied are you with what God has given? How grateful, how cheerful are you? How hilarious are you? Maybe today ask again, what am I treasuring? What does my bank statement say about my life? How is the autobiography going? If I was to track through all the spending, where am I spending what God has given me? Let's get our hearts right before God. As we enter this season, let's just say, Lord, you have been so good to me. Lord, you have given me everything. Let's reflect on that. Let's remember that. Let's ask that God would begin to grow in our hearts just a, a gratitude for his generosity. Maybe this morning we need to say, Lord, open my eyes to your goodness again. I've become a little bit blind. Maybe difficult circumstances, maybe suffering and hardship has blinded you to the goodness of God. And this morning you just want to say, Lord, open my eyes because you are good and you are enough. And let's ask him, when we recognise all that he's poured into our lives, let's ask him again, Lord, how would you have me spend this? How would you have me use what you have given me? So let's stand, shall we? Let's pray. I'm going to ask Andy if he'd come back and begin to lead us in worship. And I'm going to ask that as Andy finishes his first song and just continues to play, Maybe this morning you just want to lift your voice and say thank you to God for what he's given. Maybe there's something. And maybe it doesn't need to be a car. Maybe it doesn't need to be a house. Maybe it's just something of his goodness. And I'd just love it in this place if we just began to raise our voice to say thank you. Let's start from the place of gratitude, recognizing all we have is good and all that good is from God.